Good morning, it's the 22nd of April, and you're listening to the big kickoff. Good morning, it's the 22nd of April, as I said, uh, it's Roy Shannon here and the big kickoff, and uh, joining me today is no one, no, I'm here on my own today, all alone, David Buggle is away in the sun in Spain, enjoying himself, and I suppose why not, I was away last week, and I'm back again, I'm delighted to be back, uh, and it seems to be a busy week for everyone, and what a weekend of sport that we've had, football, the FA Cup, we've had uh, promotions and relegations and everything you could have. Boxing, I have to talk about by myself. We'll get through it, we'll be okay. What we're going to do is we're going to start off with Snow Patrol. I uh, haven't heard from Snow Patrol in a long time, probably six or seven years. And I think Gary Lightbody was struggling with depression and he wrote this song. It's nearly a classic already. Don't give it. And welcome back to the big kickoff on Liffy Sound 96.4 FM. That's Snow Patrol. Great song. 087-062-7138 if you want to text in. Of course, it's the big kickoff 96.4 at gmail.com. If you want to send on anything interesting, maybe it's about your sporting uh, club or maybe it's just about some sort of sporting debate that you would like to have. Fire away. Shoot at us. Um, yesterday... No, no, might, but might as well tell you that I'm not going to be here all alone for the whole show by myself. At about nine o'clock, we do have a guest in. We have Martin Russell, uh, League of Ireland manager, uh, not at the moment, but League of Ireland manager and uh, League of Ireland player, so kind of a, a bit of a legend coming in to join us, and he'll be talking about his career and generally football things. So hopefully at nine o'clock, we'll be talking to him and I'll have someone to talk to, apart from you, of course. Uh, Last night, Carl Frampton was back in the ring for the first time, having beaten Horcio Garcia last November in his first fight back since he lost his world title against Leo Santa Cruz. I suppose this is all from the Barry McGuigan uh, separation that he's had so this is his new beginning as he would see it and he was back to his brilliant best as he outpointed former world champion uh, Nonito Denair in Belfast last night uh, the former two weight world champion is now the interim WBO featherweight champion and is set to fight for another world title and he's hoping 
that that's going to be in Windsor Park. Uh, he won the contest by 117 to 111 for all judges. So it's a, it's a good start. And I think that's probably about as much as we can say. Amir Khan, he fought last night, is also and uh, he's fighting Phil De Greco and knocked him out in the first round. I've seen, I've seen what was of the fight. Um, there wasn't too much to it. It was a few digs. He caught him nicely and sweetly. Uh, there wasn't much of a fight, and uh, it was disappointing because I wanted to see. Uh, we know that he he has done that in the past. He has knocked people out early. It's when he goes that little bit extra of a distance and he gets tired, and then can he take the punches? But uh, he had a little, in I suppose, chat with Kel Brook. I think they're trying to set up the big money fight. fight around the corner again boxing struggling for these fights and with the uh, heavyweight actually taking most of the limelight at the moment uh, that could be an interesting fight American Kellsbrook would I pay money to watch it no but good fight anyhow looking forward to it uh, the, the snooker I should have set up the uh, the intro but here we go okay we have it there snooker started yesterday world championship started yesterday and it didn't disappoint. We had a first round. Mark Selby, the, the reigning champion, was knocked out by Joe Perry. And Joe Perry's a qualifier now at this stage, uh, albeit a, a, a steady player over the years. He's, uh, he's slightly struggling, but yesterday put up a performance of his lifetime. 10-4 win uh, versus Mark Selby. I think Mark Selby will be hugely disappointed with that one. Um, Ronnie O'Sullivan. He was playing yesterday against Stephen McGuire and he's 6-3 down. This, this is Ronnie O'Sullivan all over. He's, he's hot and cold. He's, it's when the mood takes him. And in fairness, he's, he got himself back in uh, later on uh, in, the, in the game. But he, he's one of these. He, he could blow Stephen McGuire away uh, today and that would be it, I suppose. Uh, Kieran Wilson is 7-2 up against uh, Matthew Stevens, And... To tell you the truth, the, the, it only gets exciting, I suppose, if you want to call it exciting. Not too many people will call snooker exciting. But if you are a snooker fan, it only gets exciting when you get into the last, uh, I suppose, the last four, last eight. And uh, it does need a few characters. Absolutely, 100% needs a few characters. Uh, so keep an eye out for the World Championships. Now, here's something that I seen the other day. Harry Redknapp 
and Gianluca Vialli, who we know from uh, managing Chelsea, uh, playing with Chelsea. Obviously, Harry Redknapp's been here, there and everywhere. And I suppose he's called the Wheeler Dealer. Well, the Wheeler Dealer has come to Cork because AIB will be introducing the former West Ham manager, my Spurs Portsmouth, uh, to to West Cork GAA for a new mini-series of the toughest rivalry. The weekly series will broadcast this summer and it will also feature, of course, as I said, Gianluca Viali. Uh, the toughest rivalry showcase a famous GAA rivalry with, with Viali and Redknapp who have themselves been on opposing sides on five occasions. They take char- charge of Erin's Oil GAA in Finglas and Castlehaven GAA in West Cork. And fans might remember their infamous 1998 All Ireland semi final, which left both teams with unfinished business. Now, this is this is something that I like. I like the what's the to- oh the toughest trade. They used to show the toughest trade, and st- I think that's still on, where they would have a, a, an Irish Gaelic or a hurling. Uh, the last one I seen it was a, it was a hurler who went across to America to try his chance himself at American football or, or baseball, and and then vice versa. Then a, a footballer or an American. Uh, uh, or a baseball player would come back across to Ireland and, and try his uh, hand at the uh, football, GAA football or hurling. And I suppose it's, it is, it's, it's, it's interesting because you, you just want to see that how these pros do at the, the, at the top of the, their game in a different sport. And, how, and, and it's interesting to see how they adjust because there's so much with uh, we'd say like hurling and baseball, there's, there's so much similarities there, but it is you're interested in seeing how technically they can transfer that over. Uh, speaking on his role, Viali said, I'm very excited to embark on this journey with AIB. I've learned a lot during my 30 years involved in professional football as a player and as a coach and a manager. And I'm delighted to get the opportunity to come to Ireland and learn, learn more about the GAA. I'm interested in seeing what it is that makes this sport so special. Well, keep an eye out, West Cork, for Harry Redknapp, and keep an eye out for Gian Luigi. I think we'll play a song. Welcome back to Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. You are listening to the big kickoff. It's Roy Shanahan here. And uh, yeah, still, still no one. No, still here on my own. So you have to talk to me and I have to talk to you. And uh, I'm sorry about that. We have this. That is the sound of Sunderland being relegated yesterday. Such a big club, a massive club to have gone down 
two uh, divisions in two years. Uh, they've been relegated to the third tier of English football for only the second time in the club's history after losing a dramatic relegation battle uh, with Borton 2-1. And in fairness, Borton are second from bottom, so that was a huge loss. Paddy McNair gave the Black Cats the lead uh, 11 minutes before the break, but two goals in the last four minutes relegated the Black Cats and moved Borton within two points of safety. Uh, it was actually funny enough it was former Sunderland striker Darren Bent who came off the bench and headed the equaliser before Liam Boyce uh, got the winner but dramatically just before that when McNair had scored the equal, uh, had scored an equaliser for it to be ruled out by the referee's assistant even though uh, referee Darren England had given the goal first Chris Coleman I suppose who replaced Simon Grayson as manager in the Stadium of Light last October has just won five out of 27 championship matches uh, he is overseeing. And it's not yet known whether he'll remain as Sunderland manager. And I think, I think that really and truly with Sunderland, um, and people have seen it for years, they've always been uh, kind of an up and down club, never been really any stability there at all. And uh, this is, this is, I think this has been coming. I don't. I can't. I, 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 we've always seen that Sunderland have struggled to get players in. They've bought in lads who are finishing their career, lads who are in their thirties, and given them big money and and have failed. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the likes John O'Shea has been okay up there. Wes Brown, but there's been so many, even Darren Bent, and you know, so many who went up there and just never really succeeded. You, you've got their cars. You've got some of their the shining lights like Jermaine Defoe and uh, the last real time that they had uh, I suppose a good real good team was under Peter Reid when like Niall Quinn and, and Phillips was up front and it, that's just lost it's gone and, and, and they have to come to reality now and, and, and settle into League One football and there's no guarantees that they're going to get out of that either they really need a shake up in the backroom staff and from what I believe uh, Niall Quinn has, is in talks with the, the club again with a consortium to, to try and take over but that's all in the background and you just don't know what's going to happen but yeah Sunderland gone again another big club but they're only as big as the team that's out on the pitch and they're not doing the job now, this is something that I seen, I suppose, during the week. And I sent it on to my brother last night. Uh, I think it was through WhatsApp or something like that. Uh, and it's a, it's a YouTube channel called Open Goal. And it's really good. A, 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 a man called Cy Ferry. And he does a lot of interviews. It's a, lot of, a lot of them actually with Scottish players. He is Scottish himself. But he was talking to Ali McCoyst. And... Personally, I like Ali McCoyst. I think he's a he's a good lad. He's funny, you know, humorous and, and what have you. But I was listening to it. It's an hour long clip. So if you do get a chance to listen to it, do. But Ali McCoyst was talking about his times at Rangers when he was manager and when they were going through the whole administration thing. And, all. and this kind of coincides with the, the Sunderland thing. There seems to be a lack of communication from above to the manager and this is Ali McCoy's talk and uh, I suppose on bizarrely on a bizarrely worrying phone call from owner Craig White when people weren't getting paid and no one knew what was going on point that you started to pick up peculiar behaviour for oh, Craig White oh why <laughs> oh why what were you dipping your wallet <laughs> <laughs> oh no the one thing 
if you're involved in football long enough, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, you can smell it. You can smell it. Uh -huh. Oh, you can smell it. Uh, smell it a mile away. And there was things happening. And, uh, and I remember one Friday night, the club had just got into administration. We could see it. We knew it was happening, you know. And uh, a Friday night, the club had just got into administration. And I'm sitting in the house with a game on Saturday. And just sitting in a glass of wine. My mother was there for me. My mother, the family. And I thought, I'm phoning him. I'm phoning Craig White. So, clubs administration, place is carnage, by the way, carnage. So, I know he's sitting in his boat hole in, was it Monaco? He used to disappear. So, I phoned him, and by the usual, brilliant, one ring, bang, up he goes, Alistair, how are you? I went, well, might come as a wee shock to you, Craig. I said, no, so good, fun enough. I said, no, so good. I said, it's, uh, it's carnage here. I said, there's people losing their jobs. You know, obviously, you know, the club's administration. I said, the whole thing's, I mean, you know, can you, can you lighten us? What's going to happen? Can you give us any information? He went, never forget his words, he said. I know, Alistair, he said. You're absolutely spot on, he said. I reckon another couple of days with the tin hats on and we'll get through this. And I was like, wow. Wow. And that was in the next morning. And of course, it's, it's, a, it's a gallows humour that gets you through. Mm -hmm. Right? So, any problems we had from then for the next, whatever it was, 18 months, Two years with Kenny and Durante would look at each other and I'd go, another couple of days with a tin hat song, we'll get through this. Come on now, don't lose your spirit now, lads. Brilliant. Two days, tin hats, through <laughs> But no, you could, you know what it's like, you could smell it. It just wasn't good. And that's, uh, Cart again, the little bit of humour from Mally McCoy's but That shows you that that kind of... I suppose there's no if there's no connection in a club between the top and the bottom, and that was a bad time for Rangers. Probably a good time for Celtic fans, in fairness. But uh, Celtic, in turn, then missed. I believe missed it. the league. Missed it it's after losing plenty of followers. Uh, Celtic only they won leagues, but it's great. It's not the same though, not having Rangers in it. But it shows you that there's a worrying concern, and that's something that Sunderland must be worried about. They must be worried about. I suppose the lack of leadership. <laughs> at the top of the, the, the club so uh, but again in turn Ali then uh, has who had a famous friendship with Tommy Burns the, the former Celtic player and I believe he carried Tommy Burns coffin actually bawling his eyes out uh, when, when Tommy passed away and uh, he, he had a, a humorous uh, tale about him and Tommy Burns favourite Tom story right and I told it I told it one of the the, the, the videos man it's just the best ever right we're up at St Andrews we one in Scotland get the Guinness and we had a <laughs> we had a with a photograph to do in the afternoon for show racism the red card mm -hmm. right oh you're not you're not buying us <laughs> so usually all the boys are there and they've got all the cards and it's show racism the red card so me oh, time keeping again 10 minutes late running, all the boys are there and I'm and I can see they're all raging at me, right? So I'm running down, and I've got to get the benches up, and they're all positioned perfectly, right? So I've got to come in the front, and Tam's at row at the back, and I've got to show them up. Sorry, lads, sorry, sorry, lads. They're all raging at me, right? Raging, right? So I go in, I go to sit down, but I've not got my card. And they're raging. And Tam leans over, and he goes, Oh, he says, Get that orange bastard, that Shuri. <laughs> Shuri says I'm a red card, will you? <laughs> 
stitches. Brilliant. Uh -huh. I mean, what a line. <laughs> She's getting that orange beer, that show racism, a red card. And it, it's one of the best ever in the whole place. Oh, I can still, oh, fantastic. You two together must have been some. Oh, I loved them. Uh -huh. so, I loved them. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Uh, and it shows you then that it, it all wasn't just hate up there, uh, especially probably between the players. I'm sure there was plenty of friendships up there. All right, here's a little bit of Aerosmith. to the big kickoff and Liffy Sound 96.4 FM 0870627138 and the big kickoff at Liffy Sound oh no big kick oh my god about the big kickoff 96.4 at gmail.com now this weekend whether it was a shock or not and for most people it probably was a shock but in general I think it was always coming Arsene Wenger decided to end his 22 year reign at Arsenal and I suppose for a lot of people who are Arsenal fans, maybe that this is kind of the day that they were looking forward to. And uh, it's kind of a bittersweet thing that they didn't really want to happen either because uh, the man has done so much for the club. And I was just looking at a, an article there from Paul Merson and he gave a fa fascinating insight into basically what happened when... Arsene Wenger came from Grampus 8 in 1996. He gave a detailed insight into the first 12 months at Arsenal from training techniques, uh, drinking bans to vitamins and influences. He said, we had a meeting with David Dean. We were in the canteen and he said, a man called Arsene Wenger is coming from Japan. The players were like, what? what? Who's, who's this? And he says, he talked like Inspector Clouseau. He didn't talk like a football man at all, but he changed it so much. He was so far ahead of the game, he said it was scary. He says he knew that with George Graham, he was a great manager. And if it wasn't for George, he wouldn't have won like the medal. So he won our, the, the medal. He only won one medal, I think, at Arsenal. Uh, he was as tactically as good as anyone. But with George, I could tell you in March what I was going to be doing in November. It was bang, bang. Every day you knew what was going to happen. With Wenger, after a week, the players were in training at 9 a.m., they were waiting for training to start. His training methods ideas were superb. We used to go to the uh, to England and the Arsenal lads would be doing all these types of stretches. Other players would say, what are you doing? What are these? And in the end, a whole lot of the England squad would end up doing it. He took away the beer. He took the drink, uh, the players lounge out. And there was no doubt he prolonged so many people's careers like Winterbourne, Adams, Dixon and Bold. And they played well into their 30s. And to play at a top club at that age was a big ask. He says, I played with him for just another year. It was the fittest I've ever been. The, the vitamins, the diet, everything that we were doing was like clockwork. You'd walk in, the physio would be there, orange juice, bang. Creatine would go in, bang. Stir it, drink it, walk off. It was a machine. He wouldn't let you do it. He wouldn't trust you just in case you forgot. So basically, the whole, he says, the whole system, everything in Arsenal changed. And I think this is something that they're, they're hoping that is not forgotten about, that Arsene Wenger actually, and he probably changed 
the whole of football in England, the whole mindset of football in England uh, by, by coming in. He was he, he created, he invented, well, I won't say he invented, but he, he, he certainly brought it to uh, the, the English game. Merson went on to say, uh, he wouldn't just say, go and play AVA and, and run around like maniacs. You always had to be thinking about what you were doing. He was so far ahead of his time, it was unbelievable. For however great the team, Manchester City team is, and they are great, would they go unbeaten in a whole season? He says, I'm not sure. He says, the worst ha- thing that happened to Arsenal Football Club was the loss of David Dean. He made things happen. So I always said, Arsenal played in a stadium of 38,000. They had Henri Bergkamp, Perez, Petit, Vieira, Overmars, Elka, Campbell, all world-class players. And then David Dean leaves and they, when they got the 60,000 uh, t- stadium. And now you look at the team. And sometimes that's the, you need a yin and a yang. You need people working together. And you've seen that with, with Clough uh, years ago. Uh, when, when his partnership broke up so uh, it's, it's sort of an, an interesting insight into it uh, we have here this was uh, Arson Wenger's and this is the reason why he came came back to uh, or came to Arsenal it's a manager so it was difficult to leave here before the end of the season because we are fighting for the championship you have obviously been keeping close tabs on exactly what has been happening at Highbury does it worry you? I'm worried because the club has a lot of pressure from the press and I think they don't deserve it and the players behave well and fight well and have a good spirit so I'm not too much concerned about the spirit of the team but about the pressure that is surrounding the club now. It's current troubles aside, what's attracted you to Arsenal? The potential of the club. Arsenal is a serious club, strong history and with a big ambition. And when you're manager, the ambition and the potential of the club is always very important. That's what attracted me. On the other way, I think the Premier League pushed the level of the the English clubs higher, and uh, that's what's attracting me. People like Rude Hullett has obviously decided to make his career. Dennis Bergkamp uh, at Highbury you'll be in charge of. Does that excite you that it's a more cross-Europe atmosphere in the Premier League these days? Yes, of course. What uh, was very important is that England is back in Europe to fight with the other big clubs. And uh, when you don't play European Cups, it's very difficult to attract the big players in Europe. And since England is back in Europe and fighting for the the trophies again, it's uh, much more easier to attract the big players. And that's why I think uh, England will be competitive again. Presumably you'll be hoping that they can uh, overturn the result that they had against Borussia Mönchengladbach particularly. It will be difficult but not impossible and uh, more than one result to the global season is very important and uh, I think the results are always a consequence of the quality of the game you play and uh, that's why I think when I arrive we have to concentrate on the quality of our game and after that the results will be the consequence of it. Arsene Wenger's first interview about taking the job back in 1996, the Arsenal job, which he has done amazingly with. And it just shows you then that it's how, far, how long ago it was. It was actually in a time that the English teams had only just got back into, um, got back into Europe after the ban from uh, Heysel and stuff like that. Um, Arsenal TV, who have... I think they probably have made their name on the back of Arsene Wenger's last, I suppose, lack of league titles over the last four years or so. Uh, I'm fair play to him. I think he's got a full-time job over. He was on Soccer AM yesterday morning. Uh, I'm fair play to him. But uh, yeah, he 
he had a, he, I suppose this is his reaction to Arsene Wenger losing his job or parting ways. You know, I think there's everybody knew that this season the fans had really turned against Arsene Wenger. I had to say, you know, the majority of fans, even fans that in the past had really been behind Arsene Wenger, were saying, listen, it's time for him to go now. Um, but even so, you know, it's been a real surprise for um, today that this news has just come out. He did a press conference yesterday. Um, there didn't seem no hint that, you know, at that press conference that he was going from what I could see. So um, it's incredible news. And uh, it's the end of an era, isn't it? End mm. of an era. I mean, there's lots of fans that have grown up and all they've known is Arsene Wenger, you know, and now he's gone. So it's uh, it's a new chapter. I think it's exciting in a way because... It's exciting to know who's going to come in, what direction the club's going to go in. And I also think this is a major moment for the board and the owners of Arsenal. Yeah. You know, we remember what happened with Manchester United. They have to get this right. You know, okay. um, this is a big, big moment yeah. for Arsenal. That's uh, Arsenal TV. And uh, I suppose this is, the, the, I suppose the exciting part is now it's, it's looking at who's going to take over from Arsenal or Arsene Wenger at Arsenal. Um I think I think we had uh, Martin Keown who who was ta- who was talking about his thoughts on Arsene Wenger leaving. What, what do you think? <laughs> well, you know, if you look at um, the whole piece and how successful he was at the, in the, sort of the first half of his tenure, there was a nine-year period of no trophies. Uh, fourth place, of course, was always assured in the Champions League. More recently, if you cut it into two halves, they won the FA Cup. The, you know, three of the last five years, there's still a chance to win the Europa League. But it was the, I suppose, the way they slipped within the Premier League. They weren't running for the for the Premier League. They're never really in the running. Um, the calibre of player was the quality there, and was Wenger still making and creating that magic? And it wasn't quite the same. And the fans, of course, not coming to the games it demonstrates a lack of unity, and we need that back again. And now, of course, I'm sure that will be there, and everybody will be clamouring. To those tickets to be sold out, people want to see the remaining games that Arsene Wenger now has at the Emirates. There's been a few suggestions as well that while people are saying, oh, it's too late, but people are also saying you've not appreciated him enough in recent times, do you think it might be a case that the grass might not be greener now that he's going to be leaving? I think that that applied for many years. That was a sort of motto, wasn't it? You know, careful what you wish for. But when you then sink to sixth, seventh in the Premier League, um, I think it's very glaringly obvious that you need to make a change or, you know, it's not acceptable. And so that argument didn't stack up anymore. Uh, whenever you're in the Champions League every year, um, the club is making huge amounts of money. I think it's difficult for the owner to, to look Arsene Wenger in the eye and say, well, you know, we need to make a change. Now that they've slipped, there isn't quite the same worry for the, for the board, for Ivan Gazizas now. Um, the pressure comes on to him because he now needs to make the right decision for the football club. I would have preferred Arsene Wenger being a part of that decision-making process. It doesn't look like that's going to happen. And there is a pressure for Ivan to get that right. And uh, fingers crossed he will. With all this in mind, there have been a lot of questions so far on this stream saying who should be next. Who would your choice be? I've no idea. Uh, I think it's almost too early for that. Um, You know, that's why, you know, Ivan Gazidis. I'm not sure who the, the think tank is for him. Who is who's he sharing this information with? I mean, it's not going to be easy for him because Arsenal haven't been in a recruitment process for 22 years. 
So there's, you know, unlike uh, Manchester United here today, for instance, they've had three managers in the last five years. So they're well adapted at looking, finding, sourcing, interviewing, and all that process is going to have to take place. I'll tell you one thing I will say, it's going to be an amazing job, an incredible platform for somebody to build upon the new stadium, the players that are there, um, maybe a different emphasis, a different way to play, um, and the new signings that will come in. It's going to be a... Um, a very interesting couple of years for Arsenal fans. You may- yeah, I think that's I think that's the biggest thing now, isn't it? It's, it's because they haven't had that, uh, as you said, twenty two years since they've last had a, a, I suppose, an interview for a manager. That it's a bit like Manchester United when Manchester United left Ferguson go, they struggled. They struggled. I mean, they got they got uh, David Moyes in, which was uh, I don't know a crazy appointment when you think about it and the, the, he's a defensive coach they brought in Van Gaal afterwards who I suppose was a, a bit of a has-been at that stage and now they brought in Mourinho maybe they still haven't got it right so it's taken three three turns for Manchester United and probably still haven't got it 100% right Arsenal they have to think about who they're going to take on and uh, here, here's an interesting and thought onto who might take Arsenal's job. Borussia Dortmund, Per Mertesacker, as I understand it, is still meant to be the head of the academy, isn't he, going into next year? And some people are looking, as I said, at these conspiracy theories and saying maybe Meza Ozil was persuaded to sign his new deal on the fact that Joachim Love might come in after the World Cup. No, that's not true at all. And I think the uh, links are tenuous. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. He's not got a record in club management. He's highly focused on the World Cup now. And Arsenal are needing to speak to candidates immediately. It's a shortened uh, summer because of the World Cup. And there's uh, an earlier transfer window. So I think you can write that off. And and certainly the managerial equation didn't come into it with Mesut Ozil's decision. Conspiracy theories everywhere. Who's the favourite? I think at the favourite at the moment is Luis Enrique and according to Guillaume Balaguer, Luis Enrique would jump at it and I think, would that be the right job? I don't know. Barcelona's always not a, a bad job to start off your career with but as Guardiola soon found out, uh, if he hasn't got Messi, it's hard to win that Champions League. So, uh, anyhow, we'll be keeping eye, all eyes out. So, so will Arsenal TV, so, so will every other Arsenal uh, supporter and uh, looking forward to seeing who takes over And welcome back to the big kickoff on Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. Uh, joining me in the show this morning is League of Ireland manager and ex-player Martin Russell. Martin, welcome to the big kickoff. Yeah, yeah, you had me uh, sweating there for a while because I didn't know where you were. Uh, listen, first of all, I think what we'll do is we'll talk about, um, I suppose, where you started in mm. football. You played uh, your youth football with Belvedere. That's right. For me, a lot of uh, football would have probably started. You know, as a kid, on the, mainly on the streets of England, uh, with the mates, and what happened out there was we managed to have a, a visit from Belvedere Youth Club, and 
um, we played a, a, a match against them and I was asked to go down there and play and that took me down to Fairview Park yeah. so from the age of eight up to the time that I went to the UK the football would have been either in Fairview and you know I was on the streets with the mates yeah yeah and um, youth football how, how, how long did you play youth football for up to what age oh yeah from, from, from eighth when I think back now it was from eighth years of age really that was um, uh, the sort of the competitiveness of the league football with Bellaria but you know I, I was I was playing every day as a kid from a lot younger than that but looking back now it's always um, funny thing we had uh, it was 11 v 11 so it was 11 aside yeah um, on the big pitches yeah but because there was no we were, we were under age we were thrown into another 12 league right so we, we four years on the 12 yeah yeah and um, that was every common year got easier so from getting beaten seven or eight nil yeah. eventually winning at the, when we were the, the right age of 12 against other 12 year olds but you know I enjoyed all, all my time at the Belvedere there was very good people there and um, the the environment was set that you you had a good time and, and, and you became a better footballer um, I am just going to go to a quick break because there's a little bit of uh, interference in that microphone so I'm going to have a quick break and we'll be back straight after this Local programs, local presenters, local news. Tune to Lucky Sound 96.4 FM. And welcome back to the big kickoff on Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. Give us a shout there, Martin. Hello, right? Loud and clear now. Okay, that's it. Other people in the yeah. station messing around. Okay, listen, you got to move to Manchester United. Yeah. How did that come about? When, when, when you were playing well, well for the Belvedere, the next step was to get um, recognised at the the Leinster level and the national level so I became a, a a national team player for the under 15s and you'll always get the scouts there so they I got requested to go over to Manchester United with a, a fellow player and uh, we went over on a trial and I was brought back and then began the relationship I, I was probably even to be honest with you, I was younger I was going over to United probably at 13 years of age so um and it was you were going over for your summer holidays and, and breaks like that and then it ended up being weekends and right. they were always monitoring you and 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 after the contract at sixteen. And who would have been Ron Atkinson back then would have been yeah, manager Ron, there. And even before it was the, the I remember on, on the the trial time and the, 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 the visits it was Dave Sexton and but Ron was Ron Atkinson was the manager when I when I signed and I just left um I'd spent four years there, so it was um Alex Ferguson had just come in when, oh. when, when I was leaving. When you came in. So he wasn't kicking out all the Irish, was he? <laughs> no, again, I had a very short time. I think um, when he came in, I was actually on loan to Birmingham City and I'd played a few games in their first team. And I went back and then I remember getting a call from, from him to ask me, was I interested in going to Leicester? Um, so it was probably only a couple of months that I was there um, with him, you know. Okay, so we're... we're Ron Atkinson, mm. uh, did you have much interaction with him? What mm. was he like? How did he do his business? Um, as from Ron was sort of Atkinson was would have been probably again uh, yeah, focused on the first team at that time. United hadn't achieved the league title. It was yeah. you know the quest was on. Um, they were they were they were close to it. They were competitive. They they were being competitive in Europe. There's some very good players, but he just hadn't got over the line with, with, with Ron Atkinson. And um, but when I progressed from the U team into reserve football and then we were training with the first team and so forth you you would have that you played a f I played a few first team friendlies and stuff like that so but bec um, 
he was again he was geared to the first 11 really and right um he was again as people would say he was very flamboyant and a character and um you know he, he'd bring the ut team back in the afternoon and he'd get involved in some of the five sides oh was he like oh, so very good, yeah. you know he, he, he loved his football was he any use um, he probably was when he was a bit younger. <laughs> so no. But, um, like <laughs> so us all, we all get old. Do. Uh, Leicester, how did that, uh, how did that, I suppose you, you were asked, yeah. they, they, in, they were interested in you, but uh, yeah. what, was there other offers or did you just? Um, when, um, when I was at Manchester, um, I'd played a lot, a lot of games for the reserves, even when I was old, but from 16, 17, I was, I was playing for the reserves. At that age, and um, I say the only first team games were bits and pieces of friendlies, and I got frustrated with that. Um, that's why I went. Uh, that's why I say in, in the fourth year, uh, the loan deal came through, and I, I went to Birmingham. And uh, it was just then going back at the time. I said, you know, I didn't want to continue playing reserves, mm. so it was more or less the eagerness to try and play the, the first team games, which were more meaningful. The good thing, I mean, the reserves you're playing, you're playing on. Um, Old Trafford, you were playing on Anfield, you know, yeah, but you, yeah. they weren't full crowds. I mean, you'd get a couple of thousand when you play Man City at Old Trafford. You're playing with good players, but it was probably the move to Leicester would have been to try and play the more meaningful stuff. And yeah, um, that's, yeah. that's why. So you would have got the initial buzz in those games, and then that faded quickly. It does, yeah. Once you're playing there quite regularly, you're sort of looking to step up to the next level. And it was hard because for the for the majority of the time that. Um, you know, Ronald was managing matches, and they they still were um, trying to win leagues, and and, and even the, there was not much rotation um, in terms of say it was a league cup match, it would be the same eleven again. Yeah, yeah. Whereas when I left, to be fair, uh, Atkinson was trying different. Uh, sorry, Ferguson was trying different things initially, and and a lot of the younger players that I I played and left were actually getting chances right. um, under Ferguson. Um, but the reason why I left was to try and get the more meaningful stuff. Okay, how did Leicester go for you? It was okay, it was okay. It was, I remember my debut, we, um, I went straight into the team. They were, they, were, they were fighting to stay in the top division. We didn't manage to do it. Um, uh, the first game I played, it was actually against West Ham and Liam Brady had come back. The player was playing at West Ham at the time. Yeah. So he would have been one of my, you know... Heroes. Idols, and yeah, in terms of playing the game. And... Um, so um, they, the manager assignment was Brian Hamilton and the following season David Plea came in and he was again a really attacking coach um, but then what happened in, in the second year as well I was you know I was in and out of the team and I still wanted that regular football yeah, so yeah. I decided to take a step down and, uh, and, and, and leave Leicester. And, um, and you had a good spell at Scarborough didn't you? We'd, we'd a good, we'd, that we'd, was only a year wasn't yeah, it? Yeah but it was probably the time that every weekend uh, you know, there was there was there was that meaningful game. You know, the game mattered, and yeah. I was at the age where, you know, I wanted that sort of challenge. That you know, yeah. um, you're playing you're playing first team as opposed to squad player. Because I was looking at your your stats for Scarborough, it's 51 games, nine goals. So that was a busy season. It was, and we and we just missed out on the the, the promotion um, by a goal. I think um, we we won the playoffs and we we just missed out. We also had um, we also knocked Chelsea out of the the League Cup, which was a, a famous game for them. And um, it allowed me to play regular stuff and then got me back in the shop window for, for a move um, back to Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough. Who was, who was managing then? Colin, Middlesbrough. Yeah. It would have been Colin Todd. 
Oh, Clontarf. Yes, yes. So again, probably a, a, a short stay there. Eleven games. Uh, was it just? Was there any reason why it, it, it didn't flourish? Um, it didn't flourish. Um, it, I probably I, I, two years left of a contract there, and I remember with Colin Todd, it was back to sort of in and out yeah. uh, of the team, and again frustration sets in. Um, so. Lenny Lawrence took over and I went, I remember going to Lenny Lawrence and saying, listen, you know, I don't want to be traveling, playing reserves. And, and he said, well, you know, you have two years left. If, you, if you're staying, we, we'll, we'll ask for a fee. And I said, no, I'd like to go back to, to Ireland. Yeah. Um, I think part of that is because you're away from 16, I was, you know, I think it's a little bit too young. And, and every situation is different. Yeah. But I was always looking at opportunities to come back to Ireland for, for breaks and thing um you know um whenever i could i'd come back um uh, so see family and so forth did did you did you do your own deals like, yeah because we were talking with yeah. barry prendeville in a couple yeah. of weeks ago and he yeah. was saying the same thing he just went up and he yeah. did his own deal there's uh, no agents or that's it. Like i would have been a little bit older than barry right so similar setup you're going in and exactly right you're sort of you're asking for for whatever deal, or you happen to do it. It was, it was again when you think about the agents now, and the thing about the agents that they, they, there is pros and cons to them. You know, you get yeah. good agents that will do good deals for you, and you'll also get agents that will look out themselves. And yeah, so um, could you do you think you could have done with an agent then, yeah, or were you happy with how you dealt with it yourself? Um, there's many things that you look back and say uh, maybe I could have made a different decision. And maybe I needed somebody to confide in, and that that knew the ins and outs of the game, and yeah. stuff like that. So I, I I can see the benefits of having somebody. And if I was to do it again, of course, uh, of course I, would, I, would. I would probably look at things differently. Yeah, you uh, we went back to Porter Down for Goodspell mm. and St. Pat's for Goodspell. Yeah, combination three hundred games you played. You played for both of them, and uh, you were you, you scored a scored a few goals. Mm. There's a lot. There was a lot, particularly in, in the north at the time. When I came back from England, you're still trying to to earn a living from the game if you can. Yeah, rather than so. It was more. It was a more. There was more money at that time. Oh, there was. There was more. There was more investment in the Irish yeah, league. Yeah. There was a number of players going up there. I know when I came back, I had to try and live in a house. I, 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 I'd been married, so I was trying to uh, buy a house. So um, the deals were better up, yeah. to, up to north, uh, if I'm honest, um, substantially at the, at the time. It allowed you to, to, to get a mortgage and yeah. stuff like that. So whereas the deals down south at that time went, but a few years later, it, it turned upside down. Um, when I finished playing, there was, a, there was a passage of time where the deals were extra, extraordinary yeah. in the south. But yeah. at that time, it was it was the place that if you're going to come back to Ireland, um, just to even afford a mortgage, yeah. uh, you had that to was the place to go to. Northern Irish football, we don't get to see as much Northern Irish yeah. football. It doesn't be on the telly. What's what, what's the difference between the the no. North football and, and, and Southern football? No, it's, again, I can at that time they had got you know. Um, Professional players in the league up there, case in point, being ported down. I would go up, we'd have um, Paul Doolan, and, yeah. and, and we would travel together. At the same time, we'd have two or three lads flying in from Scotland um, that would fly in on a Friday. So they didn't train during the week? They trained in Scotland, um, but they played for Ported Down. So it was, again, it was um, it was the way it was. And they were, you know, there was, you know, there was. There was other clubs up there that would have had sort of similar players um, at the time 
and we would join in with the the, the, the lads from the north and and play our games together. And like there was a good group up there, and we were successful in terms of getting into Europe and yeah. winning the league. And, the league, and, that's and right. there was a lot of cups as well that, that were there. And St. Pat's then took over uh, your your more or less last spell mm. of your football. Um, is there any of those clubs there that you have a, a, an affinity to that you, 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 your heart is, is is stuck to? I think there's, there's always a piece of, of each of them. You know, you, you, there were. I mean, a lot, all of my football clubs, I've met very good people. Yeah. And therefore, we've had good times, and there's always a fondness of, of of those times. So you'll always look back and say, you know, you you always look out for the results and stuff, and how they're going, and how and. You know, even Port Town, for example, about six months ago, I was invited back up to a game and um, met people I hadn't seen for a while. So um, it's always, you know, there's, there's a bit of each that you, 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 you're fond of. Yeah, definitely. How would you sum up your playing career? Um, in ways, um, I've had, you know, very good experiences, very good times. And you always... You always look and say, could it could have been better? Possibly, could it be more fruitful? Possibly, could have been less fruitful? Yes, definitely, yeah. because I've known a lot of players that it, who are very, very good, and I always saying, well, you should have done higher. You know, things didn't happen, and even worse still, there was a lot of players that no fault of their own. They got injured, they retired, um, and you know, you think of those things. You think the experience that I've had and the the. Um, it's hard to put a price on that, you know. Yeah, uh, coaching and managing mm. then came into your yep. into your career. Then, um, coaching, do you get a, a, a buzz out of coaching? Yeah, I think you do. I think uh, even when I was playing, to be honest, with you, I'd have been thinking about not, not well, the, the game and how it's played, and could there be more football in the games? And you know, going back to my time, um, one of the things I used to get frustrated with was. I was always regarded as, as a wide player where I probably, uh, when, when, I went, when I went across to England, for example, for the years that I was across there, everybody played 4-4-2. Yeah. You played 4-4-2 v 4-4-2. Now there's a lot more uh, variations in the game and um, I like that and also the fact um, that I think the game nowadays more so than the time I was playing the UK is more technical game, which I also think is good. Yeah. So I'd be asking those questions saying, why can't, we have more football being played and yeah. can the game be better and can I enjoy it even more? Just on that, our technical ability is always mm. under scrutiny here yeah. in Ireland. Uh, why is it that it's, it, why is it that we're deemed to have, because I look at a lot of players yeah. who are technically high standard but it doesn't transfer then going into the, the professional game. Obviously, yeah. then it's, they're playing against higher talent than, yeah. you know, what have you. But why do you think it has never sort of... Why have we never produced those type of players? For me, we, we don't create the environment for them, Okay, basically. So the environment is, is everything. How, how, how a boy comes into a club and is allowed to progress and develop is a, you know, it's a big area. Yeah. And if you've got a culture that tells a kid at, at a young age, get rid of the ball... Kick yeah. it away, get it out of there. Then the environment will create that type of player. If you've got an environment where it's, it's like the boy is relaxed, he's trying things, he develops more skill. Um, that's you know, it's, it's it's hard to say in a nutshell, but it's along the lines of that. I don't think as a country we we do enough for the for the game of football. Do we do we do we coach enough technical skills? Well, the, the skills, 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 skills. 
acquisition or a boy becoming more skilled. You know, it's it's does he's got he's got to practice himself. Yeah. But again, as I said, whatever environment that he comes involved with in the coach, the coach has got a structure. The setup and and also the games because what happens is in the games they might do something in training but when it comes to the game it's all about the result and the first question is always uh, did you win today as opposed to what did you practice today yeah, you know yeah yeah, yeah. so as I said yeah, it does come back to the environment and I think in other countries they 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 look at the player and they look at the game and they look at um, the performance more so than than, than we and do results than we, yeah. it's results a big thing environment it's a big thing uh, so you've been with St. Pat's you've been assistant there twice you've been with UCD as an assistant and a manager a good spell with uh, as a manager what are your memories of uh, UCD yeah UCD was a, a setup that I got involved in uh, when, when Pete Mann asked me to come in and help as a, as a coach and the beauty about that setup was you had young eager players who wanted to progress yeah. and there was a buy-in for them and so the information that I was giving out to them I think was well received right. and a lot of good players that were there have progressed to the highest level in Ireland and some have gone to UK and the setup is a really good setup it's a model that is very good for for the young player in Ireland that he can go and play his football and also get a qualification in terms of his education, education. Yeah. and you know it's a twin track approach that I would definitely recommend um, yeah. to anybody that's that's setting out on a professional career you know you can you can you can want to be the best you can practice as the best but also have a have a plan B as I said I've seen too many players that should have made it and didn't make it and um, needed to find a plan B and was there, I suppose there was a a, a, a a good turn of players so players won't be hanging around too long and there'll be new players coming in on a constant basis is that what, what you found in, in, where, in, in, in with UCD like no I think when UCD you went well there was a lot of there was a, there was a good um, in terms of scholarship you know if a boy gets a scholarship he's, he's getting a scholarship nearly for three years so yeah. you could be working with that player for three years okay. they, they still allowed you at the time I was there and when Pete was there you were you were allowed to bring outsiders in but the cost the, uh, it was a case of uh, they would be low cost players in terms of most of the money funding would be going into um, the scholarships particularly when I took over manager they, they reviewed it and um, but they were able to pay outside players that would supplement the the scholarship players that they had. So was there most, much was there much or any pressure on you to uh, I'm not say yeah. perform but you know to, to win things because yeah. of the, the, the way the, the nature of the yeah. I was asked once somebody asked me a question is UCD the worst job or the best job yeah. in management and um, again you could talk about that and, and, and look at it from both points of view from a coaching point of view it was there is a, uh, and they were always known as giving their managers and coaches a, a length of time. Yeah. Um, so you had that sort of freedom. The, the, also, in terms of the spectators, you weren't getting barracked by because there wasn't too it many. Wasn't too many. Yeah. They were barracked, yeah. and it allowed you to put your stamp on things. So it was a good role, for, particularly for a young coach or a young manager to go in, in and you know have that sort of. You know, environment there from a coaching point of view, and the lads were all right. The lads all wanted to um, to do their best. But then, from a frustrating point of view, is we had a group of players, and we go to the names of say Greg Bulger, Ronan Finn, Robbie Benson, who mm. made Dave McMillan as a few, and and there was, and, there was, and there was others there as well, than, uh, more so. But when you had a nucleus of those young players, you always felt if you kept them together and added a couple of quality senior players that eventually you'd be playing in Europe. Yeah. 
because those boys are playing in Europe. Yeah, yeah. And that was that was that was my thoughts back then. But it gets to an age where they come out of the scholarship and the UCD have to offer them contracts. They can't match the contracts of Sligo, and they end up going off. So from their point of view, it was a good base to start off. From UC, from a manager's point of view, you're losing very good players, yeah. and you're having to go back down and, and restart and again. Restart again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you, you had a successful time there, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, I mean, we, you, we you did. got promoted. You kept them up for. That's what I'm we got very. We got, got promoted. We, we got promoted in our first season that was manager against um, Sporting Fingal had been just turned as a professional right. outfit and they were, they gobbled up all the, all the players the senior players and we actually finished top of that league yeah. and then for the next for the, for the rest of the time I was in charge you see we managed to stay up yeah. so we also put a big the, the, as, as well as those facts I think it Probably the most pleasing thing, for, one of the most pleasing things is to see how players that we have have been able to use the platform and moved on to bigger and better things as well. And for you, when you look back at that time, that's probably the best you could have done. Well, as I said to you, it was only going to go so far mm. because you were never, you needed, you, you were losing some players, you were losing the best young players eventually, and you weren't able to attract the senior player that would help yeah. uh, to you know to bring you to that level of European qualification. Yeah. So um, it's always to say, is it the best? Is it the worst gig? It has its benefits. It also has its downsides. Yeah. Limerick, you went to Limerick. What, what kind of? Because I, I actually, this is nearly a personal question for me. What type of club is Limerick? What, how do they do, do they appreciate their football in Limerick? Well, uh, very much so. I mean, uh, you got to look back at the. At the all the histories of all the clubs mm. you know it, it's been a long time you know I've I played for Pats and i played for Portadown and they've won leagues and they played in Europe since I came back from Ireland I'd never known Limerick to win a league or, or play in Europe they'd, um, they'd 20 plus years in the first division and when I took over they managed to be just back in the Premier for a, a short time Yeah, and that was mainly due to the changeover of the manager, the chairman getting involved, Paul Sullivan, yeah. who, who really tried to develop the club there. And um, when I came in, as I said, to do, do, do a Premier outside. And I, st- I always said it about anywhere like Limerick, and you've even seen it at Waterford now, that those one club cities, one club towns, there is no reason why they can't be forced in, in the domestic game yeah. if they get the right people involved. Yeah. And because the catchment area is there, the people will come out for meaningful games. Okay. When we were there, we'd with a couple of games where uh, we'd five thousand crowds, which showed you that when 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 the event was on, that they would recognise it. So, um, in answer to your question, the, the, you know, they they, they, they they I feel they want success down there, and I think that you know, but it's it's getting probably more people to help the club uh, to bring it to that level. Yeah, because I, I played there about oh, just over twenty years ago. Yeah. And it was just a pitch, really. Yeah, you know, there, there was there was nothing else to it. There was no support. There was there was nothing. So I haven't seen it since it's transformed. I can't, apart yeah. from on television now, you know yeah. that. But I just don't get the whole vibe around it because I haven't been down there. But yeah. that's a that's a good insight into it now. Yeah. Uh, so managing was you you were, you were doing well with Limerick. So how how did it all end? Why did it all end? Was, again, um, we had uh, a few things that happened. Um, when I took over first we managed a big climb up the table and finishing fifth or sixth and but then while I was planning for the next season the budget the budget was cut and we ended up going the next season with a very reduced budget and we ended up playing in 
another pitch um, and things didn't go right that season. We, we almost stayed up. We got relegated. And the following season, we then got the budget back up again and we managed to win the league convincingly to get back promoted where yeah. we wanted to be. And then that season had just started and it was a like it is now, a competitive league. And we just had a difference of opinions and there was a mutual um, understanding that they would go their way, I would go my way. And, you know, without going into too great detail, yeah. um, I felt it, was, it, it wasn't right um, for me. Uh, the environment is important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have to be... Um, 100% there, you know. You have to be happy. Uh, you have to be I think so for both. But we had listened, there was different points of view. We had d good discussions, a couple of meetings, and as I said, you, you could see that um, for me it was best to um, to pastures and look for pastures new. Um, over the years, you, so you started your managerial career in 2003. What has changed in those 15 years? What's different for, uh, to managing now? To managing, um, and again, I think it's management probably again when you're at a professional level maybe in terms of expectations in the professional game it never changes it's results based business for yeah. most, most clubs if you're not getting the results um, the manager doesn't seem to stay stay too long you know so it can be a difficult role management that way um, and everybody wants success and in, in, the, in the modern world it's you know um, it's instant gratification that seems to be wanted yeah and sometimes it, it's the manager said it takes a fall when he when he needs more time yeah. so it's okay. difficult for managers even you can see in the in the in the, in the major leagues and you can see it in the leagues here as soon as player teams are not doing as well as people think yeah. managers fault you know? yeah yeah i'm gonna let you get a sip of water i'm gonna take a quick break okay you're listening to Liffey sound on 96.4 fm and welcome back to the big kickoff. We have Martin Russell in with us. Martin, the under 13, 15, 17, 19 league, uh, good or bad? Oh, it has to be good. It's, um, as, you know, I did sit on the technical development plan discussing these things. Yeah. And a couple of main things were, were, were glaring in terms of the structure of allowing the best young players against playing against the best young players. Yeah. It wasn't right. So, for example, an under 13 kid in Limerick, those three leagues in Limerick. So, if you were a good player, you'd be playing in one league, I'd be playing in another league. Yeah. We wouldn't be playing against each other. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. again, we talked about the start of the, the interview about the environment to challenge our good young players. Um, the structure went right. So, that's part of, of a restructuring that gets the best playing against the best. Yeah. So, I'd see it being positive. It, it has put an onus on the clubs to get their act together because the professional clubs had left it to the schoolboy clubs to develop players in other countries it's the other way around yeah. the professional clubs develop the players so it's put an onus on the clubs to do it that's put a cost on the clubs to do it so as I said to you we, when, it, when you talk about investing in the game do we do enough investment in the game no um, for me it's, it's the best game the greatest game in the world yeah. but other, other countries invest more in it yeah, and if if you look at the, the 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 time and effort that's put into it now, now these clubs probably have a bit more of a feel of a professional club, where before it was just had their first team out and can we survive? Now that, that it's as you said, you have a thirteen, yeah. fifteen, seventeen, nineteen. You're looking at uh, I suppose a bigger a bigger uh, yeah. challenge for as the said, clubs. It's, it's done all over the rest of the world, where a club can take a boy 
from an early age all the way through. It was a pathway all the way through. Yeah. It was very much fragmented in Ireland. Um, we're still trying to, as you say, establish that setup of having a club that works all the way through and, 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 and that gives the benefits to the young players. Um, so now it's good to see it starting. But they're, they're only working from under 13. So really, they're, they're, these, t- these players are being developed f- from, could be even from six years of age up to 12 or 13. And then they're going hmm. to the League of Ireland team. Yeah. So should there be some sort of deal, compensation or something for the, for the, the, the Belvedere's, yeah. the, the Lucans uh, and all yes. who develop the players at this age? Oh, yeah. It's I a mean, crucial age. That was, I mean, that was always the big sticking point, the compensation issue um, of the product of the kid or who benefits. If he, if he, if he yeah, exactly. performed and, I, and, and went I, on. And it's a, it's a fair point. And I think that is a compensation, there is compensation, compensation rules in place. Okay. So it's not, and, and also what's been, you know, um, what's been asked is that the professional clubs, although they're not taking them in at younger than 13, they are getting into partnerships with yeah. other, with, with, with the school by clubs. And as long as, again, for me, as long as it's about the player yeah. and there is that culture created that a player from an early age can allow to be, allowed to be the best he can be. Yeah. And as I said to you, it's, it's it's there for them. Yeah, and that's, that's what matters. Is there if when you look at the League of Ireland, is there anything that you would like to change? Oh, there's probably or loads, but um, there's loads. You know, just in a nutshell, I just wanted to, to grow, be more professional. To um, you look what f- ultimately from a League of Ireland, anybody involved in the League of Ireland, you always want to try and push it to the next level. So an example being Dundalk, you know Dundalk, and I know Stephen Kenny's ambitious. Uh, for example, that wants to when he goes into Europe, he wants to win in Europe, and yeah. I want to see Irish teams win in Europe. Yeah. And the same way we we cheer on our national team when we get into the finals of the Europeans or the World Cups, that we want to see them do as well as they can. Yeah. And that's what it is for me to see, you know, our Irish clubs become more respected on the on the world stage. And um, but we'll only do that. If we invest in the game, it's not going to happen. If if we just wish it, yeah, um, we need people, and the clubs uh, need a helping hand. They, too. Of course, they do, and and and, and it's more. There's, uh, there's a lot in all the clubs, in all the clubs in Ireland, whether it's professional um, or whether it's amateur schoolboy. There's a hell of a lot of good volunteers and people that mm. love the game, and you know, also wanted to progress as as much as they can. But unless we get the main leaders, decision makers on a political level that care about the game, yeah. sitting around the table and say, listen. How can we? How can we help the clubs? Yeah. We don't have that. We. we I do. I do feel it's 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 the money men who need to step up onto well, the plate because we have when Dundalk were on their run. I think it was a national thing. It wasn't just a Dundalk thing. Everyone in the country was behind them, looking for them, hoping for them to progress in the, in, in the especially well, in the Europa League well, at that you, time. You think about the Dundalk um, journey. You're right. I mean, it, it grabs the country's imagination, and you want to see Dundalk play against. Manchester mm-hmm. or, I mean we were fortunate at Pats we, we, and I was fortunate at, at, at Porter Down that there was occasions that we played I mean Porter Down our first game in Europe the following year was against the champions of the uh, Red Star Belgrade yeah. at the time they won the European That's Cup right. and to play against them was to have that opportunity and the same against Pats we played against Celtic um, and like Dundalk have done against established sides in Europe brought respectability to anybody involved in the game and performed that well, was this, the this big is what thing. you want but the fear is that as as we're standing still everybody's continued to invest in the game yeah and 
you know, it's even even things of whether it be the the dog situation or not qualifying for a World Cup. Who, for example, who's going to who's going to be responsible for developing yeah. those skillful players you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. You know, are they just going to happen, yeah. or we have to make sure that we put the best structures in place that you know we're, we're more likely to be successful. It's always going to be tough. People will say, will point out that Ireland is. Um, you know, it's a Gaelic um, country, it's a rugby country, and football is a social... It's a positive, though, isn't it? Because it's multi-sports, you've yeah, got people it, who have multi-sports, uh, it surely helps their yeah, dynamics. It of, does, of I mean, and, and, and in other countries like, you know, in other countries like America, there's many, many different games as well. But you see the, the way the MLS is flourishing now, you know, their, their national team has come on. Yeah. Again, they'll have ups and downs, but I think they're trying to continue... To invest in the game over there yeah. to make it as best it can be I would question you know how, what, what, what we're going to do here I the, just the worrying trend for me is that I have seen where Sligo Rovers have had their little two year period mm. Dundalk have had it you know they've had a bit longer than that maybe Shamrock Rovers would have a little t- burst maybe Pats it always seems to go from one club to another now it's it, there's a little bit more it's a little bit more stable now than Dock, but that's purely because of the investment. I think so. I think it is the investment side that is investment will give you a chance, and then you have to you have to manage that investment. Yeah, and yeah, you've got yeah, to give yeah. a lot of credit to, to Stephen, for example, on, on the football and things. What he's done with Dundalk, but any club that's in the professional game in Ireland, you need you need investment to have a chance. And even like the ten team league, it's such a competitive league this year. And you know you point out Waterford, for example, where like situation. Limit that they've come up this year and they've put investment in, yeah. And they're talking about qualification for Europe. So, the beauty about it is that if you do put money into Ireland, Irish football, and Irish clubs for a relatively small investment compared to, say, the English Championship, where they, okay, they're probably trying to get in the Premier League for the big money, but or any other leagues around Europe, you know, you've got three tickets every year for European qualification, yeah. And Dundalk managed to, to do well the last time, it's not necessarily going to happen again and again unless um, you give yourself the best chance uh, is there anything in football you would change no I think it's gone to, I think it's becoming more I say for me it's becoming more entertaining game there's, there's been real changes that's allowed that to happen I think pitches and stuff like that in, in throughout the world but again when you, when you come back to Ireland which is where I'm living um I would, I would like everything. I'd like the product to keep on advancing. I would like yeah. the stadium to keep on advancing. I'd like the game to be the best it can be. Yeah. So we have a lot of changes to make to do that. Um, we probably need a, a big re... Uh, I, I remember uh, when the issue in Saipan was, um, came to the fore and the document came out and the one word that when they, when they were referring to the, um, the league, the domestic league as improvement was, was radical change radical radical right, change yeah. it's not just tweaking fixtures here tweaking fixtures there going from 10 to 12 or 12 yeah. it's, it's it's radical and we need a big think tank to say listen how can we give this league the best chance An to, opportunity, to do well? yeah. yeah um plastic pitches brian Kerr isn't happy with them yeah. he doesn't like them how do you feel about them they got they've got better mm. um i would rather have uh, a plastic a good plastic pitch than a bad Grass, grass pitch. pitch yeah and you know i've been in even you know we've, we've, even recent times I've, I've been going to grounds and for me there's a difference between a pitch and a field yeah you know anybody can have a field yeah but but a pitch is a is a different thing altogether it's yeah. on a different level and yeah it's a looked after but what you'll find with clubs 
even in the professional league, we haven't got money to do this. We haven't got money to do that. Yeah. We haven't got money to look after the pitch. Yeah. So then you end up having a field. Yeah. And I've been at a few fields in, in the in the Irish game as well. Yeah. So it might be short it's, term. It might work for us. Yeah, I think it's it's you can look at uh, it's it, the half got better. Yeah. I don't see uh, the bounce I mean, isn't as unnatural as they used to be. No, it's it? not. I remember. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I tell you what. The, the the one funny one is when they first came out. I was actually playing for Scarborough and Oldham had a pitch. Hockey and pitch. It was like the hockey pitch. It was like the carpet here beneath. beneath yeah, um, yeah. And we'd just beaten, the funny thing was we'd be just beaten Chelsea. So we'd beaten Chelsea, we'd knocked them out on TV, out of the hat we were playing Oldham. But it's Oldham away. Right. And Oldham had beaten everybody on this pitch because they'd know how to play it. Yeah, and, yeah. and we hadn't played on the, on the pitch. So we turned up at Oldham and lo and behold, Got we this. were a lower league team. I think it was 6 7 nil. Yeah. And it was, it, it you just couldn't get used to this pitch on, on, on going there one day. Yeah. And we hadn't, as I said, yeah, we were a lesser quality t- side than them. They were a good side. Dennis Ayer weren't playing for them, John Sheridan. Yeah, yeah. They were lads that went on the bigger things. But, you know, it just shows you the highs and lows of football. Like yeah. you start off beating Chelsea, and the next time you're getting slapped. Um, yeah, seven, it's a wake up call. But the pitch, was, the pitch was just ball flew away on it. Um, they've come a long way since then, yeah. and they've got better. And yeah. on, on the good ones, yeah, I don't see much much of a problem on the good ones. Okay, listen, just about finishing up. But what's the biggest mistake? Just on a coaching role, what's the biggest mistake you see the coaches make? Maybe even at underage levels in in their coaching sessions. Um, just no, just or is there anything that you I, see that people? I think, it, people are doing. I think uh, again, when I relate coaches to players, I've never seen the perfect player. Yeah, I've never seen the perfect coach. I think we're all, if we're all honest, we can all get better as coaches. Yeah, um, we can all keep on learning. There has to be that growth mindset and coaches. You know, you don't know it all. You may have experienced things and things keep on evolving. But it always comes back to you know what you want to get, what you want to get from. You, the group that you're in charge with do you really want to develop the boy come from that aspect it's all about the player then how he's going to develop um, and, and give that um, thought process to the development um, particularly at the younger level um, the coach needs to, to see that picture the big picture and, and work from there when you look at yourself as a manager coach do you see or have you obviously you've taken stuff from everyone that you've mm. been in with yeah. football do you see a, a part of you that's very similar to any sort of a manager or coach that no you're you, right when you say that there's definitely parts of each of the people that I've mm. played under that I've said you know what that's that's inspiring that's I like that yeah um, and I've played from you know I always say from one extreme to the other I mean I think from a professional sense David Pleat for example would want to play the most creative attacking type of game yeah. whereas when I played a couple of times in the Irish under Jack Charlton yeah. it was more pragmatic the yeah. result was important there were certain things that players were allowed to do or couldn't do and the ball had to go in a certain direction yeah. and stuff like that so I, and I've played all day they would be at polar opposites and in between there would be a, 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 a mixture yeah. of different managers so I've gained a lot of experience and I said yeah, it comes back again on, on making your own philosophy seeing what way you want things to go and yeah but always related to when, when I'm coaching young players I always one of the key things is I try the best I can allow them to be the best they can be right so I don't really um you know I wouldn't tell for example give you an example at uh, UCD when when I went in there the, the young defenders came to the club they were used to probably kicking the ball forward yeah and I would encourage them to come out of the back with the yeah. ball 
um, because again it's the way the game is going that if they wanted to get to the next level they would be the they man would have to do they it. would have to do it so um, that, that type of stuff so I, I would encourage the lads to be the best they can be I think right um, last question is if you and I asked this to Barry Prendeville and I think he thought I was looking for uh, his his his, his I would say his philosophy mm. and, and looking for insights for Luke and United or something mm. like that. But when you start off with a, a club or mm. a team, what is the first thing? Is there one thing that you say, listen, I'm looking at this and I need to address this straight away? Or is it just a whole host of things? I th- yeah, it's more, it's more than just one thing. You, you, you want to, first of you want to work with good people, whether it be uh, the players that you're instructing the other people in the club that you're all on the same page yeah and then once you once you once you have that and go back to players you want players to be receptive you yeah. want players to, to to buy into your message to you know to, to, to go forward together and, and, and be the best you can be so they've got to be they've got to be committed and stuff like that and then then you begin to work from there if you get commitment from them then you, you can do things um so there would be a whole range of things that you when you go into a club you'd have to work at from a coaching point of view you, you do hear managers go in and they will say the first thing I try and do is tighten it up at the back yeah is that what, something that you would look at address is it, is it work from the back forward or probably you say work I mean in terms of conceding goals I think it's 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 not it's it's a it's a team effort so you know i would stress that you know we can see goals as a team yeah and and we and we and we play football as a team so it's not just um but i know there are coaches i mean to me for me to be honest if you said would you rather win a game one nil or five four i'd probably say five four right and okay i don't know whether that that, that leads you to ways you know gives you an insight into the way I, I do think i don't like conceding goals but i do like attack and play and yeah. i think getting the balance because when you're attacking if you're a good attacking side you have to be expansive you yeah. have to open up you can't you can't just have one player joining you've got to look to get overloads but equally you have to get the overloads when you're defending yeah and to get the balance and I mean you would see for example the little things that Barcelona do as soon as they lose a ball the, the nearest straight attacker away. will try and get it back straight away and they try and con- they try and control the game with yeah. the ball and try and control the game without the ball so it's the control of the game and how you do and how you structure your team um, to do that and give you the best chance. You can still play very well in games and I've had games where we've dominated and we've lost. But in terms of um, getting control of the game with the ball, getting control of the game without the ball is important. Yeah. I lied. This is the last question. Who has yeah. been your biggest influence in football? Oh, there's, uh, there's so many. There's difference. There's so many. I mean, as, as a player, as I said, you know, I've looked at games and um, I'd seen Liam Brady play for Ireland and I says, that, that fella could play anywhere, you know, in the yeah. world. And, he was an Irish player that said he could have gone into any team, and I, I would have, I would have modelled myself on that sort of level. Tried to play that type of football. Um, from a coaching point of view, I've, I've picked up from different coaches, from Jack through to David Pleat, and all in between. Um, I've picked up so much from different, and um, you know. So, but again, you know, you just, you just uh, try and be who you can be. And um, you know, I, I always find, to be honest with you, even now I, when I watch a game. And you sort of there's been a couple of games when you watch the likes of Barcelona play now uh, in recent years and how they play. Yeah. It, it inspires you when you see when you see football played at a really good level. 
I would say I would equate it to probably you know an art form when it's done at a really yeah. good level. So I, I get my inspiration from watching good football too. Good. Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure having you in. Uh, we may have you again sometimes, whether it's on the phone or something like yeah. that. We might get you no, back in again. Yeah, no, it's good. Uh, but no, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, thanks for coming thanks in. Thanks, Talk, Talk to you again. Okay.